tonight I want to direct your attention to the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Our subject tonight is, Does God Always Answer Prayer? This is the final message in a series on prayer. And I want to announce tonight what we will be doing after Easter on Sunday night. I'm going to be taking you through the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23 after Easter on Sunday nights. And I am looking forward to it. I believe we need to understand what those nine fruits of the Spirit are all about. And with the aid of a an overhead projector that we are going to purchase that will shoot a picture up on a large screen, I'm going to share with you these fantastic fruits that Paul said should be a part of our lives. And I don't want you to miss a one of them. So that will be our Sunday night emphasis after all of the wonderful things leading up through Easter Sunday. And all of you ladies that are here tonight, I have good news for you. You are going to be invited to another men's breakfast, and it will be the, the Wednesday after Easter the 14th. We will have one of the outstanding couples who communicate to men and their wives as our guests for that morning. It's a post-Easter celebration, April 14th. So you plan on it, won't you? The next time the ladies can come to the men's breakfast. Now, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report or received witness through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Does God always answer prayer? This sixth verse is our theme verse for this message. Let me rehearse it with you again. In fact, would you repeat it with me? I want everybody to say it out loud with me, verse 6, Hebrews 11. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Our message tonight has an important question in it. Does God always answer prayer? I don't think any of us here, especially after hearing the testimonies, would ever doubt that he answers prayer. And I truly doubt that there are very many people in the world who would not have to admit God answers Prayer, not too many would admit he does not answer prayer. They believe in prayer. 
in general. But when we say, does he always answer prayer, questions fill the minds of men and women everywhere. People would say he answers some prayers, and he answers sometimes. But to say he always answers prayer, I'm not sure that I can say that. Well, let me say, first of all, that God does not always answer prayer. And I have a scriptural foundation for that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, for example. When Israel was engaged in great sin and rebellion, we call it apostasy, a falling away. God said to them, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. And the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So it is obvious from the scripture that God does not always answer prayer because there are some prayers that don't even get through to him. He will not even hear them because they are prayed from a rebellious, iniquitous heart. Now, if you look at our text from Hebrews 11, notice, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, if you read that very carefully, you will have to say it implies that if you do not believe that he is, and if you do not believe that he's going to reward your inquiry, your prayer will not be answered because it's not prayed in faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Some prayers he does not hear. But let me quickly qualify by saying, a true child of God he will always hear. He always hears the prayers of his children who believe that all things are theirs for they are Christ's, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.21. All things are yours, for ye are Christ's. And that links with the sixth verse of Hebrews 11. If you believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, some of you tonight, if you had the microphone, maybe could say, but it doesn't always seem true. We do not seem to always find the answer to our request, even when we believe that he is and that he rewards the diligent who seek him. Well, that's where my message really fits tonight. Those who honestly believe and honestly pray, who honestly seek God but do not feel the answers are always forthcoming. Maybe I could illustrate it from a story out of Queensland. The owners of Mount Morgan, which may ring a bell in some of your minds, Mount Morgan in Queensland became one of the richest sources of gold in the history of man. But the story behind that discovery is an interesting story. The owners of Mount Morgan in Queensland toiled arduously for years on the barren slopes of that mount. They eked out a miserable existence for years, never knowing that under their feet was one of the richest sources of gold the world has ever known. 
Then it was discovered later. It was theirs, yet not theirs. They owned it. It was under their feet, and yet it really did not belong to them for the simple reason they did not claim it. No true prayer goes unanswered, but God does not always give just what we ask for, as we've learned already in these messages on prayer. So let me outline for you in these moments we have together what we mean when we say God answers the true prayers of his children, but it may not always appear that he answers them. First of all, sometimes God says N-O, exclamation mark, period. And we don't like it when he answers in that way. How many of you here would raise a hand and say, I know God has answered me with a no in my prayer life? Raise your hand. Sure. It's obvious that he has to do that. One of the Old Testament characters that illustrates this is Elijah. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, old Elijah was so discouraged, running he was from Jezebel the queen, weary, without food, thinking there was no one left that believed in God. He said in 1 Kings 19, 4, Lord, take my life. Now, aren't you glad that God answers no sometimes? When Elijah was going up in a chariot of fire, not even having the taste of death, I'm sure Elijah was thankful God said no. I'm just convinced of that. God knows better than we know. And so sometimes he just flat shuts the door on us. If you have a child and the child asks for a red-hot poker, you don't hand him the red-hot poker just because he clamors for it. You know it will not do him well, so you do not allow this. It's a no for the benefit of the child. He's your child, but the request demands a no. So it is with God. I have observed, I love to watch human nature. I suppose you found that out by now. You learn a great deal by observing people. Wealthy people, in my estimation, are the most careful not to allow their children much pocket money. I've observed that. I worked in a grocery store early in my life, in fact, that was my first job, and I learned a great deal about people and their shopping habits. I observed one day, for example, a lady coming into the store with several children, and that lady dumped onto the counter at least seven balls of bubble gum at 10 cents a ball for her little children. <laughs> 70 cents for balls of bubble gum. I watched as that family left and went to an old dilapidated car. You wondered if it would get them home or not. And I saw again this principle. So often those who don't have waste because they've never learned the true value of riches and of goods and things that God trusts to them. But the wealthy often are careful about how much their children have to use because they know how it can be abused and wasted. 
So it is with God. He has everything at his disposal. But you see, God is all-wise. God is all-knowing. God knows whether we will use something aright or waste it. And so he must at times say, Hey, this is not good for you. I love you, but it will not serve you. It will hurt you. Going back to the bubble gum, you see, it not only costs the 70 cents for the bubble gum, but that act repeated will cost a fortune at the dentist's office. It is just flat out not good for the children, though it looks so appealing. Oh, how we want that bubble gum. <laughs> but it's not good for us. And it will cost us a mint to repair the damage. So God says, instead of repairing the damage, I just won't let you have it. It's not good for you. And I say, praise God for his wisdom and his kindness in that. He knows. And Elijah did not get that prayer answered. Thank God, because it was not right. Let's look at one in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. The man is the Apostle Paul. His problem was a physical problem, and he prayed about that problem. For this thing, this physical thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, he prayed, that it might depart from me, and the Lord said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. God's answer to Paul's prayer was no. I have not come here tonight to explain why. I do not know why. God did not choose to heal Paul of the infirmity of his flesh, which he called a thorn in the flesh. But I leave that up to the sovereignty of God. I do not understand a lot of things in this life, but I do trust God. I do believe in his wisdom. I do believe in his love. I do believe in all of his qualities, and that if he says no, it is for our good whether we understand that or not. And along with the no, God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Hallelujah. Why did he not heal a Fanny Crosby and give her her sight? Obvious. He wanted her to write songs. And there was something about her blindness that brought out depths of truth that would never have come had she been able to see. She wrote over a thousand hymns, including Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. God sometimes has to say no, because out of the no, there is a gold mine that is discovered that will bring honor and glory to him and blessing to mankind. Then I add this point on the first part of our message, Romans 8, 26. For we know not how to pray as we ought. Just that little statement from Romans 8, 26. For we know not how to pray as we ought. Could I illustrate? by bringing your attention to Mrs. Zebedee in Matthew 20, verse 22. Mrs. Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. She worshipped him. And she said, Lord, I would like my sons to sit with you in the kingdom, one on the right, and one on the left. And Jesus said to Mrs. Zebedee, 
You know not what ye ask. Can they drink of the cup that I will drink of? Can they endure the suffering and the agony, the separation, the denial, all that is involved in what will be my elevation to the right hand of the Father? Ye know not what ye ask. And Paul, writing about prayer in Romans 8, 26, simply says, For we know not how to pray as we ought. What that says to me, among other things, is that there are times when in my ignorance, and there are times when I desire things that are not good for me, that God says, Son, you don't know how to pray. You know not what ye ask. In my love for you, I will close the door on this. It will not be possible for you to have this because it will hurt you if not destroy you. So trust me, believe in me, and rest in me, for this no is for your good. Hallelujah. I think that will happen more often in the days ahead now that you know about it. You will not see it as God being angry with you or upset with you, but you will see it as a token of his tender love for you so that you might grow in him and develop in him and be blessed by him and used by him as a result of his no in your prayer. The second thing, under this heading, does God always answer prayer, is that Sometimes he says, wait, W-A-I-T, wait. Jacob had to wait because God was working something out in Jacob's life. He had to have an all-night prayer meeting, a wrestling with God in order for his name and his character to be changed. He wanted it immediately, but God said, wait. I have discovered that sometimes he delays so that greater glory may be brought to himself. So we must admit tonight that his delays are not denials. He does not turn his ear. He just says, wait. I found in the bibliography of George Mueller a wonderful illustration of that fact. George Mueller had prayed for 63 years for one man's salvation. 63 years. The man had not been saved. George Mueller comes to the time of death. And this man had not yet come to Christ. Even though he was facing death, George Mueller said, he is not converted now, but he will be. And he died. Before the funeral of George Mueller, that man found Christ as his Savior and his Lord. George Mueller never lived to see it, but he welcomed him into the kingdom of heaven when that man died and went on to glory, I assure you. God heard that prayer. God had to wait until the circumstances were all right, until the man humbled himself and called upon the Lord, but God heard the prayer, and God answered the prayer. And he works the same with you and me. When we analyze how can I know the answer is no or wait, rest assured that he will not let you pray 63 years for a no. 
Amen? It will not be a no. It's a wait. It will come to pass. Wait on the Lord. Then, too, I believe we need to give more thought to our prayers under this heading of wait. Have you ever thought of the position we put God in? Let us take, for example, the Second World War. Over in Europe, Germany particularly, there are Christian people, German Christian people. Over here in America, there are American Christian people. Here is this group of Americans praying, Lord, help us win the war. Over here in Germany, you have this group of Christian people. Oh, God, help us win this war. What would you do if you were God? Dump them all in the ocean. <laughs> Out in Kansas, we have a drought. So the Christians there are praying, Oh, God, send us rain. And in another part, we have a group of people who want sunshine. And they're praying, oh, God, send us sunshine. And in the spring around here, all the young men's fancies turn to baseball. And they're praying for sunshine. And all of you older folk who are planting gardens are praying for rain. And God has to satisfy the oldsters with rain for the garden and sunshine for the kids who want to play baseball. Have you ever thought of what we do to God in our prayers? And then, and I've seen this, and I love it, both young men praying for the same girl. <clears throat> Lord, she's just what I need. The other one, she's just what I need, God. Oh, Lord, I'll never find anyone like her. And God says, yeah, that's probably right. You better let me answer according to my will. Oh, the position God gets in when we pray without a whole lot of thought and evaluation. We have this church league. Well, several teams play in the church league, and you've got two churches out there wanting to win the game, and both groups gather for prayer before the game. I've always thought it was kind of funny, you know. Only one can win, so one prays, God, win or lose, help us to give a good testimony. I want to win and give the good testimony. <laughs> it's always e easier to give a good testimony when you win. <laughs> but God has to filter all of this through. Isn't that something? Have you ever thought about that? and the millions of prayers that go up every day of the year. And God monitors all of that. And we have all of this going on. One praying for rain, the other sunshine. Two praying for the same girl. Two teams praying to win. How in the world can God satisfy everybody? The truthfulness of God is literally at stake. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, he said, How often would I, but ye would not. In other words, you're just not in the position you need to be. You haven't given enough thought to your prayers. So you're going to have to wait. No gift is a good gift if we are not fit to use that gift. A father says to his son who wants to play with his razor, wait till you're older or bigger or wiser or better or stronger. Then you can handle it. And so it is with God. And I want to make a statement now I hope you will never forget. Are you ready? God never bestows tomorrow's gifts today. 
sometimes he has to say for our benefit, wait. You will understand it better by and by. God never bestows tomorrow's gifts today. You let him be God. Remember what he's having to put up with. As we pray without thought and without meaning many times to our prayers, God in his love, God in his wisdom, God in his sovereignty says, tomorrow's gifts I will withhold until tomorrow, and you'll praise me and thank me for it. Now the third thing, does God always answer prayer? Sometimes he says, yes, and isn't that wonderful? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I love it when God says yes. All of us do. And I want you to know that he never made a promise that he cannot keep. He never made a promise that he cannot fulfill or that he does not mean to fulfill. God delights in answering the prayers of his people. If we believe in him, as the writer to the Hebrews says, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, the answer is going to come. Mark it down. It will come. He says yes. And he does what nobody else can do. Let me give you an example. A man said to his pastor at the conclusion of prayer time in a meeting in the local church, I wish you would pray for my boy. He is 22 years old and has not been to church for years. The pastor said, we can spare five minutes right now to pray for that boy. So everyone assembled, lifted their voices, in earnest prayer for that boy. That was in the morning. That night, in the evening service, that boy was present, convicted of sin, came to the altar brokenhearted and accepted Christ. On Monday morning, the church staff, gathering for the day's work, having their devotions to start the day, were challenged by the conversion of that boy the night before. They singled out the worst man they knew and agreed in prayer, according to Matthew 18, 19, for that man's conversion. That was Monday, right? On Saturday night, the same week, that man that they classified as the worst man they knew staggered into that church and sought the Lord who had been seeking him ever since that Monday morning prayer meeting. God said, yes, I'll do it. What a challenge to prayer. We're not playing games when we talk about the Bill McKee crusade and your singling out people to pray for, to get into these meetings, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may not listen to us when we plead with them, but they cannot hold out for long when prayer goes to the throne because of our promise. He rewards them who diligently seek him. How big is your God? He loves to say yes and will if everything is right for that request. Today is missionary day. You have an insert in your bulletin about missions. I could stand here for hours telling missionary stories of how God said yes, but one of the more dramatic ones is about a missionary needing to cross a deep stream during flood time. With his group, they camped and prayed, God, we need to get across this river. How can we do it? Show us the way. 
provide us a means by which we can cross this river to get on and about the work that you have given us to do. While they were praying, there was a crash in the sky and a huge tree which had battled with that river for many years began to totter and it fell into the river right across the flood tide of that river and the royal engineers of heaven provided a bridge for that missionary and his group to walk across so they could pursue the ministry that God had given them to do. God says yes when it's good for us and good for him and a blessing to the kingdom of the Lord. We have been hearing some wonderful things about China, some of the miracles that have taken place in China during the time of the revolution. The inability of missionaries to go in has not stopped the moving of God's Holy Spirit. Out of China comes the story of a Chinese boy of 12 years. His name, Manasai, M-A-N-A-S-I, Manasai. He was the son of a native pastor who was at home by himself when a rider on a horse came to the house in great haste and concern. The man inquired for the Jesus man, which would have been Manasai's father, the pastor. The boy told him his father was away from home. This man said to Manasai, there is a young woman in a village nearby being torn by devils. She is raving mad, pulling out her hair, clawing her face, tearing her clothes smashing up furniture and throwing dishes of food about. She would blaspheme and would foam at the mouth. The man got off of his horse, fell at the feet of Manasai, and in desperation cried, You too are a Jesus man. Will you come? A boy of 12. He had no choice. He swung himself up on the horse behind the man, and all the while he was riding toward that village, was doing what you would do, examining his heart before God to make sure there was no unconfessed sin. He prayed for the guidance of the Lord as he came to confront this situation with this maniacal girl. As Manasai approached the village on the horse with the man, the young woman screamed, All of you get out of my way quickly so that I can escape. I must flee. A Jesus man is coming. I cannot endure him. His name is Manasai. Manasai lighted from the horse, knelt down and began to pray. He then broke into a Christian hymn to the praise of the Lord. And then in the name of the risen Christ, he commanded the demon to come out of the woman. And immediately, that young woman was calm. Her spirit was just as normal as our spirit here tonight and was perfectly whole from that day on. She had never met Manasai before. But as he prepared his heart coming on that horse, God was also working on the other end. And isn't that exciting to know that while you're praying here or in your kitchen or wherever you are, God is working on the other end of the line and sometimes he says yes and he says it with thunder and he says it with power and he says it with glory and people bow their knee in obeisance to him who has all power in heaven and in earth. He says yes to our prayers if we diligently seek him. Hallelujah. Thank God for the yes. 
It seems that so few around us today know the real power of God. If we really loved our blessed Savior, should we not often seek Him in communion and often expect of Him miracles like monocized miracle where the demons bow in the presence of holiness and righteousness? God says yes. Now, have you got it? He says no. He says wait. And he says yes. And to a person whose heart is not right with God, he doesn't even hear. So you can't expect an answer. Now, to wrap this up, there is no age limit to God's answers. God answers the prayers of young and of old. He answers the prayers of men and women. He answers the prayers of those with a clean heart who seek to live a holy life and who have, catch this now, a simple faith. I want to end my message on prayer tonight by saying, in my opinion, one of the greatest problems we face in prayer is that our faith gets too complicated. We need to come again with that simple, childlike faith that says, God is God, here is a need, and He has promised that if I seek Him in diligence, He will reward me for my seeking. And then watch for the answer. John said, Beloved, if, we, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him and do those things that are pleasing to Him. We have those things. If we seek Him with our whole heart, with a clean heart, with a prepared heart, with a simple faith, we have those things that we seek of Him. In October of this year, we will have here in our pulpit Dr. Cho Yonggi, the pastor of the largest church in the world today, the great full gospel central church of Seoul, Korea. I have before me recent statistics of that church, and I want to tell you a little bit about them before we close. In that church in Seoul, Korea, 10,000 people are being added every month. Yes, you heard me right. I was not in error. I said 10,000 every month. The statistics, by the time they get to us over here, are usually outdated. But the ones that I have aren't bad. In 1967, which would be 15 years ago, there were 125 cells in that full gospel church involving 2,267 families, and there were 7,750 members, 1967. Now, that wouldn't be bad, would it? We would probably write all kinds of articles for magazines if we had those statistics. But now in 1982 or the end of 81, which is when these statistics came, that church had 14,268 cells, 94,981 families. You got a hold of the arms of the chair? 191,967 members. And the goal for 1984, that's two years from now, is 500,000 members. One half million people in one local church. 
Now, is that the desire of some egomaniac who wants to report all over the world the size of his church? Absolutely not. Dr. Cho is one of the most humble men you will ever meet, and you must hear him when he's with us in October. The key to the growth of that church is in one word, prayer. They have their all-night prayer meetings. The majority of those Korean believers are in prayer at 4.30 every morning. I have been there. I have seen them. I preached in the full gospel central church. I have seen their intensity. I have been in other Korean churches in Korea. I finished preaching for Dr. So, who now has the old building down in the central part of Seoul. And after a marvelous Sunday, and it was late, we came out of the office to go home. And I heard sounds from the sanctuary, and as I looked in, I could see nothing, for it was dark. And I said, Brother So, what is going on? Oh, he said, there are some people who will not go home tonight. They will remain here all night long in prayer. And that's what's going on in the sanctuary. They are in prayer. They have what they call prayer mountain in Seoul, Korea. Caves hewn into the mountain for prayer. They bring pillows or whatever to put on the ground, and there they pray all night or for a week at a time on prayer mountain. There is never a time when someone is not on prayer mountain praying, seeking God for revival in Korea and for North Korea. And the South Koreans pray this way, Oh God, if it would take North Korea invading us in South Korea to bring them to Christ, then we are willing to sacrifice ourselves if it will bring them into a relationship with you. If it's necessary, God, then so be it. No wonder 10,000 a month are being added to the church. No wonder there is such a remarkable thing happening that it's the talk of the church world wherever you go. It is because of prayer and basing what they do on the text for this service, which I share with you once again in closing. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I underscore the word diligently as we close. I am concerned about our lack of diligence, that we can find it so convenient to bow our knee for two minutes and be gone from the place of prayer. We find it so easy to slip out after the preaching to the coffee shop or the pie shop Leave the praying to others. We find it so convenient when there are special times of prayer called for to be about so many other things. It is no wonder that America is in the state it's in tonight because Christians have not diligently sought the face of God. Friends, I want to go on record tonight as saying, if you will diligently seek God, he will reward you. Your loved one will be saved. The marriage will be spared. 
the son will come home, the daughter will be brought back into fellowship. The business will have a turnaround. Your life will be different, and our church will be so jam-packed that the whole city will wonder at the power of God because we have diligently sought the Lord. Let us stand to our feet, please. It has been my desire to work our way carefully and prayerfully through these messages to give you some basics on prayer. I do not confess to be an expert on the subject of prayer. I just confess to you that I know prayer works. And the more we pray, the more we'll see the hand of God. And I know this, that the more simple I am in my approach to God, the more available he seems to be to me. That we need to un uncomplicate our prayers. And as I said, be simple in our faith and let God do what only God can do. And let's stop trying to help him. Let's not try to set things up. Let's just pray diligently, believing that he is, and stand back and watch the glory of God at work. Can you say amen? Now, Father, we thank you tonight for these moments together around the Word, around this sixth verse, particularly, of Hebrews 11, that teaches us that you are a faithful God and that you reward those that seek your face with diligence. In this building tonight and watching us by television and certainly listening by tape around the world, there are people with great burdens and great concerns. Everyone has something that they need to pray for. So God help us all to come with a childlike faith, believing that you are a God of infinite wisdom and love. You're going to answer if our heart is right. You want to say yes. Perhaps you will have to say wait. And if it's a prayer that is totally amiss, you will say no, because it's for our good. But let us know that you will answer, and may we be satisfied and happy in the answer. God, help us to believe you more. We are looking for a great spring here at Capitol Christian Center, Lord. Thank you for this day. We felt the power of the Holy Spirit all day today. Oh, glory to God. Thank you for answering.